Lord Jesus, we want you to lead us to the cross. We want you to lead our hearts there to, to consider it more deeply, to live in light of it more boldly, to be refreshed by it in, 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 in the depths of our conscience, uh, to be free of the guilt. Um, please lead us to the cross. And so I pray now as we spend some time in your word that you guide us into that as well. Guide us in, with, with a worshiping heart that, that considers all that you're saying here, all that you want to say to us tonight. Help us hear. Lord Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I remember uh, maybe six or seven years ago, I was doing a service project with a bunch of teenagers in Florida. And it was one of those projects where you don't go out to eat. It's not like one of those nice, fancy things, but, but, but the groups are making the meals right there on site. And then in the morning, you go out to different work sites in the area, and, and you serve in many different places. Uh, and I'm convinced that I ate something bad that night because the next morning I was so sick must have been a Tuesday or a Wednesday, probably the midweek of, of, of the service project. I was so sick. I was up the all night before. But the next day, I wake up and I'm still sick. And I had to drive a group of teenagers to their work site. And it was all the way across the city. And I remember thinking, I wish somebody else could drive them. But, but I was the one uh, licensed to drive the van. And we had rented a van. And I was, I was the guy that had to do that. So... Um, we loaded up, and I drove, and I was sick. And I remember dropping them off, and I thought, should I drive all the way back to the to the the, the home base? And I'm like, well, they don't have air conditioning, so that doesn't really work anyway. So I remember laying in the back of the van all day in the 90 plus degree sun, and I just remember baking, you know, and I was sweating, and I was just soaked. I never remember being so soaked from sweat as that day. And uh, I, I say that to say that tonight I want to focus on Jesus' sweat, the sweat in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because whatever sweating we have done in our life, whether it be through athletic events, or whether it be through a time of stress, or whatever, it just doesn't compare to what we're going to see tonight in the Garden. The sweat that poured off of Jesus as He thought about, as He prayed during that Garden time. So I'd invite you to take your Bible in front of you and turn to the book of Luke. In particular, chapter 22. Right after the Last Supper, right after Jesus broke the bread and told them this was His body, and right after He gave them the cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant, He went out to Gethsemane. Which wasn't odd, he, had, he spends time there. And so we're going to look at verse 39. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. His disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. 
And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Sweating usually comes from physical exertion, working hard. Uh, You might remember, if you remember Genesis, sweat is the result of the fall. I'm not saying people wouldn't have sweat if, if people didn't sin. I'm just saying God said, because you've sinned, you'll work the ground by the sweat of your brow. Things won't be easy in this life for you. Producing crops, growing them, it's not going to be an easy thing. So Jesus here is in the garden and facing the most difficult task of his life. He's thinking about what's to come. And so I just want to answer the question tonight, why the sweat? What does that show us about Jesus tonight? Before I do that, though, I do want to comment just briefly on the sweat like drops of blood. You'll notice that it says that in verse 44, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Really smart guys, great biblical scholars say, it, it, it's, it's saying it's falling like drops of blood to the ground. Others say, no, no, there actually is a medical condition, a documented medical condition that we know about today where people do sweat blood. Um, I want to talk about that just for a minute. <clears throat> uh, it's called hematidrosis, and this is why people sweat blood. I'm going to quote the experts here. Acute fear and intense mental contemplation were found to be the most frequent inciting causes. Acute fear and intense mental contemplation. We have Jesus in the garden considering his impending death, And he's sweating, and either it's falling off him like great drops of blood, or it actually is falling. And and, and the cause of it, again, being that mental contemplation, but what's happening is, it says, under conditions of great emotional stress, tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can rupture, thus mixing blood with perspiration. So whether Jesus is actually sweating blood or whether his sweat is pouring off of him, you can see these under great stress. Why is that? What, what, does, the, what does the sweat point us to in this, in this story of Jesus in the garden? What are we supposed to get from this? No notes for you. There will be nothing on the overheads behind me. I just want you to listen and hear and think about what this means. First of all, Certainly his sweat points to his intense and fervent prayer, right? He, he, he's in the garden to pray. And, and throughout his ministry, we see that many times he withdraws with his father, often in the evening hours or early morning hours, he'll spend the night with his heavenly father and he'll pray. And that was to refresh himself because in the daytime there'd be crowds of people. He needed to withdraw. But during this time of withdrawal, I don't think it's for refreshment at all. It's, it's this intense time of prayer. What's going on here in this prayer time? I don't think that I've ever had prayer like this. But clearly it was a prayer against temptation. Two times Jesus said to his disciples, 
watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. And certainly he was tempted. If you remember earlier in his life, the devil showed him the kingdoms of the world and said, I'll give you all of this if you'll just bow down and worship me. And you see the underlying temptation there is, you don't have to suffer, you don't have to die, I will give you all of this if you would just bow down. And so we're left thinking that Satan must have had the power to actually give him the kingdoms of the world. He could avoid the cross. Certainly this is a moment of temptation for Christ. It's certainly also a temptation for his disciples. Uh, you should note that Jesus doesn't say, watch and pray that I will not fall into temptation. He actually tells them, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. He, he tells them to pray for themselves. We all face temptation. We all face our own sinfulness. We're to face it the way Jesus would face it, the way he would tell us to face it. You face it with prayer. When you're tempted, you pray. When you know you're going to face temptation, you pray. To get ready to face temptation, you pray. If we're going to get through difficult periods of temptation and sin, it's going to be, for one reason, because we prayed. That's Jesus' go-to. Sometimes we think we can handle it on our own. I'm sure Peter thought that, right? For all of his good intentions, you know, I will never leave you. I will never do that. And Jesus said, you'll deny me three times. So it doesn't matter what our good intentions are or how good we think, how strong we think we are against temptation or the fact that we've beat it so many times before, there's going to be times of intense temptation and that ought to drive us to our knees. We ought to be careful. We ought to be uh, going to the Father in those times. Good intentions only take us so far. Peter found that out. Prayer takes us further. This is also a prayer of submission. Part of the intensity of the prayer is that Jesus is praying, if there's any other way, if there's any other way we could avoid this. And so when Jesus tells the disciples, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, I think the same thing applies to him. His spirit knows he's going to go to the cross But there's a part of the flesh that says, can't there be some other way to do this? Can't there be another way to forgive humanity? Isn't there something else? The Spirit's willing. The flesh is not. And so he's wrestling with his own flesh here in the garden. And I think that's the same way with us as well when it comes to our prayer time with the Lord. Uh, When you go through really hard times in this life, When you lose a loved one, when God takes something away from you, there's this wrestling that we all have to do in prayer. If you don't wrestle in prayer during those times, you'll never get to the other side of it where you can say, not my will, but your will be done. Because isn't it true that when when you face the hardest moments of your life, you say things like, God, not this. Not this. I can't do this. I can't deal with this. How could, I thought you weren't going to give me more than I could handle. Right? We, we, we say things like this. I, I can't do it. But through prayer, power is released so that you can actually. And, and that's beyond my point right now actually. My, my point right now is to say, through prayer, God gets you to the point where you can say, I accept it. 
I accept it. God, whatever, whatever you're sending my way, if you won't take it away, I will accept it. And the only way to get there is through prayer. Otherwise, you start to shake your fist. Otherwise, the questions you have for God and the accusations you have for God start to overwhelm you. But in prayer, you can wrestle this thing out. And you could say, as bleak as the future looks right now, I will accept it if it's your will. My will would be you take it away. And as I implied just a moment ago, when we pray, we also see that these prayers are prayers of strength. They're prayers of strength. When Jesus prayed, what happened? Well, what was the immediate right then in the garden result of the prayer? Like what happened right then? An angel came, it says. An angel came. Jesus prayed and an angel immediately came down and strengthened him. And you say, well, what did the, what did the angel do right then? How, how do you strengthen a man who's going to his death? What did the angel do there? We're not told, but if I could just infer something maybe. I'll give you a maybe. Verse 43 says, An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And then verse 44 says, And being in anguish, he prayed, what? More earnestly. More earnestly. The angel strengthened him. And if if I could make a proper conclusion, I think from this is, the angel strengthened him so he could pray more earnestly because that's what he needed he needed to draw strength from God to face what he was about to face he was going to get strength during his prayer time and so the angel needed to strengthen him so he could do more of it he wasn't done yet he was drawing strength because of everything he was about to face He knew he had to face lashes, the Roman spikes that would go into him, the torture, the weight of your sin and my sin and the whole world's sin. How do you face that? How do you walk into that? If you think about it, I'm not trying to make more than what I know of it. I only know this. It seems the scripture saying the reason could face the reason Jesus could face the thirty nine lashes, the crown of thorns, the, the the cross, the reason he could go into that and endure it was based out of his time in the garden in prayer. That's where he got the strength to face it. That's where he got the strength to endure it. I hope that in considering Jesus' sweat, you consider that this is the only way we can face the temptations we have, the difficult things coming our way this year. That's, I mean, there, there's other ways to get help, but this is one of the primary things we do. We pray. Let's say one other thing that his sweat shows us. His sweat shows us his anguish over his suffering to come. I mean, clearly, 
Again, whether you make a lot of the blood or whether you don't, clearly he knew what was coming at him. He knew what he was going to face. That's why he was in agony in the garden. He knew the details of it. If you consider some of the uh, passages in the Old Testament that revealed the horror of the cross before it happened. I mean, Jesus knew what crucifixions looked like. It's not like he'd never seen one. But he also had these passages to contend with in the Old Testament that showed what he was going to have to go through. Passages like Isaiah 52.14 that said, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man. His form marred beyond human likeness. He had to have been thinking that he was going to become disfigured through this process. He was going to be unrecognizable to his friends and his own mother, except for the fact they knew, that's our Lord. That's my son. Otherwise, his appearance just was obliterated. He knew it was coming. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He knew that he was going to feel the piercing pain of Roman spikes. He knew it. We use the word sometimes excruciating pain to describe our pain. Excruciating comes from a Latin word that means to crucify. He knew he was facing excruciating pain. He also refers to the cup. Now, years ago I used to think the cup just meant like his lot, you know, like what he was going to have to endure on the cross. And he was metaphorically speaking about it as the cup. And certainly it is a metaphor. But it's also an Old Testament metaphor. I'll give you one. There's a number of them in the prophets, but I'll give you Psalm 75.8. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. The wicked of the earth drink down the wrath of God. And it's a drink that they're forced to drink. You know, It's something you can take a sip of it and say, I've had enough. It's you drink it until it's done. And so the cup was a metaphor for the wrath of God. It was a, like a powerful wine that would cause staggering and drunkenness and falling over instantly. It'd just take you out. And so when he prays about this cup, he's praying, can, the, can your wrath, O oh God, somehow be satisfied in a different way? But knowing the prophecies and knowing that he had to face this, He did. And he drank the cup down to its very end. In a few hours, Jesus would be tried six times, three religious trials, three political trials. He'd be scourged by Roman soldiers, 39 lashes. A crown of thorns would be placed on his head. He'd be forced to carry his own cross until he could bear it no more. He was nailed to the cross. The cross was lifted up and dropped into position. 
He endured six hours of torture, hanging and gasping for air. And he drank it down. He drank it down. Why? Why was it necessary for Jesus to shed his blood for us? We've talked about sweat. I'd like to conclude this time of looking at in the Word with uh, just a few moments considering why blood? Why blood? Jesus shed his blood because blood is the price of redemption, right? There's a cost to buy you back from sin. Last Sunday we talked about how lost we are. How, 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 that we are slaves to sin. And the purchase price to buy you back from slavery to sin is blood. Blood is also a depiction of the wrath of God. If you watch someone bleeding, you might say this guy's being punished. Yeah, it's the wrath of God on him. He poured out his blood to show God's justice. The cross is horrific because our sin's horrific. We try to sugarcoat it. God does not. The cross is a reminder that, that we can't wink at our sin. We can't act like it's okay. It's not okay. It's never okay. And blood reminds us of that. Blood reminds us that we can be cleansed of our sin. You ever get a drop of blood on your shirt collar? Maybe you guys are shaving and you cut yourself and you get a little drop of blood here maybe. And, and you're like, oh, I've got to take that and deal with it right now. I've got to get that blood out. You know, I don't want to be stained. And yet... Biblically speaking, it's the blood that actually cleanses us and washes our sin away. And and I'll name one more thing that blood does. Blood is a sign of a covenant. And we don't make covenants today. I mean, we make marriage covenants, but not the way they used to make covenants. The way they used to make covenants is you'd have two different parties and they want to maybe join the families, join the clans, join the tribes. And so they cut a covenant. Sometimes it involved uh, exchanging robes, which was kind of like what I have is yours and what you have is mine. They would exchange belts and weapons, which was kind of like saying, I'll fight for you and you'll fight for me. Sometimes they would cut themselves in their hand and then shake hands or clasp together. And that was like saying, we, we are one in blood. But part of the covenant that I think we focus on the most uh, of ancient covenant rites is they would take an animal and split it in two and put it on two sides. And the two parties would walk between split animals and the idea was what they would say they would say something like this if i break the covenant may what happens to this animal happen to me i'm going to keep the covenant abraham made a covenant like that with the lord or maybe it's better to say the lord made a covenant like that with abraham and when moses when we had the mosaic covenant they they made the ark of the covenant right and all the different pieces of the tabernacle and they put blood on all that stuff Blood goes on all of it. The blood cleansed it. You can't make a covenant without blood. You can't do it. 
That, that, that's just an ancient covenant practice. And so when Jesus is sitting at the table and says, this is the new covenant in my blood, in my blood, he's saying, this is a new thing that we're doing, a new thing that the Lord is doing. I'm about to shed my blood. It's going to be for you if you would accept it. So in a moment, we're going to take communion. And part of that is the cup that reminds us of his blood. And here's how I would like to do it tonight. You have little pieces of paper at the end of your pew. They should be on the right side of the pew. I'm inviting you to take a little piece of paper and consider what sins you've been forgiven of by Christ. And write a few down. And then when the time is right, I'm going to invite you to come forward and come to this cross. And it's wrapped in twine. And if you could just tuck that sin into the cross. You might want to fold it. Tuck it in here. And then I'll ask you to come over here and take communion. We're taking it by ripping the bread. We're going to break bread tonight. And dipping it in the cup and then receiving it. Now, you may have never been in this church in your entire life, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is for you. Your family. You're part of this family. You're part of the blood covenant. We're one in this thing. You're invited to the table. If you're gluten-free, uh, this, this uh, communion right here is for you. Uh, if you're not gluten-free, uh, over here there's two different tables set up. So I'm going to invite you to do in a moment is to come forward, put your sin on the cross, and then walk over and take communion. As that's going on, we'll be singing. Okay? And then we'll close the service after that. Our teaching at this church is that the bread stays bread and the juice stays juice. But this is a powerful symbol and reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes now? Worship team, would you come up? If 